We've all heard the saying, what goes around, comes around, which generally refers to the idea of whatever happened before will come around or recur again in one form or another. Well, that is often noticeable in things like style trends or perhaps when someone does something unsavory and it turns around and smacks them in the face. There is perhaps no better way to see it in action than through the lens of the Maya calendar. We'll look at that from the perspective of the Akbal Tresina, one of the 20 Tresinas or 13-day periods that make up the 260-day count of days that is at the core of Maya calendrical systems. This is Marguerite, and I would like to welcome you to episode 36 of Navigating the Energies of Life, a podcast that looks at how the energies of the Maya calendar are at work in the world and how they apply to daily lives. While I'll not be highlighting every single day of this Tresina in this podcast, since, as always, All of the days are listed in my Maya Calendar Horoscope blog, which can be found at mayacalendararts.com. But I do want to touch on some of the key things to watch for at this time. First, the general nature of this energy period, which might seem a bit daunting at first glance. Akbal generally translates as darkness, or night, or house. The Aztec often show it pictorially as a little house or temple, while the Maya hieroglyph for this energy contains an element associated with darkness. You might think of it also as night, associated with mysteries and contemplation and dreaming. Ultimately, this is the darkness that eventually gives way to early dawning. In my blog, there is an Aztec image of the deity that they saw as the overseer or patron of this period. She was known as Itzpapalotl, the obsidian butterfly was often shown with skeletal features, jaguar claws, and knife-tipped butterfly wings. This may sound like an odd combination from our perspective. The idea of combining the delicacy of a butterfly with the fierceness of a jaguar She was seen essentially as a protective type of entity, as well as a fearsome and fearless warrior on the search for truth. She ties in well with this Tresina, since this is a time frame where critical issues associated with morality and ethics are often on full display. And these are the kind of things that Itzpapalotl deals with. Tied in with the idea of darkness and then early dawning, 
This Dracaena often stirs up and exposes deep, hidden secrets or cover-ups that people then have to address. We saw this in 2018 very clearly at the time of the Ford versus Kavanaugh hearings related to that Supreme Court nomination. This was referred to as a searing moment in the Me Too movement in the U.S., and large numbers of people weighed in on what was going on, including the Law Society and hundreds of lawyers. In 1972, the whole Watergate scandal began unraveling during this Chasina after the arrest of the Watergate burglars in the early morning of One Akbal, which translates as the initiation of darkness, which eventually led to the impeachment proceedings against President Nixon three cycles later, in 1974, and then, shortly thereafter, to Nixon's resignation on the fourth day of this period. And then, as noted in the blog, if we look much further back in history, we find this Tresina in place at a major turning point in the history of the Roman Empire. With that first day, Wanak Ball again, being the energy in place on the devastating day in 410 AD, when the Visigoths, an early Germanic people, led by Alaric, their king, breached Rome's defenses and began three days of ransacking and pillaging. Since Rome was said to have had a population of as many as 800,000 people at the time, and was legendary as being the seat of one of the most influential empires in world history, this event was significant. People must have been terrified as this invasion of their city was taking place, as they had to endure three days of plunder and destruction that left the city in ruin. It was thought that some unknown person or persons had treacherously opened the Salarian gate to let Alaric's Visigoths in. And over those three days, they looted everything they could get their hands on, stripping valuables from people, buildings, and everything else they could find. This horrific invasion of one of the world's great cities marked a significant point of decline after hundreds of years of Rome being in power. Basically a watershed moment in terms of the fall of the Western Roman Empire, since Rome never really recovered and it was only a few decades later that Rome's last emperor was defeated. Anyway, I mentioned this for several reasons, with one being that the description of what happened in Rome seems alarmingly similar 
to what happened in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. With regard to Rome, one observer wrote an account of it in a letter shortly after it happened, where he said, quote, This dismal calamity is but just over, and you yourself are a witness to how Rome that commanded the world was astonished at the alarm of the Gothic trumpet when that barbarous and victorious nation stormed her walls and made her way through the breach. Where were then the privileges of birth and the distinctions of quality? Were not all ranks and degrees leveled at that time and promiscuously huddled together? Every house was then a scene of misery and equally filled with grief and confusion. The slave and the man of quality were in the same circumstances, and everywhere the terror of death and slaughter was the same. Unless we may say the fright made the greatest impression on those who had the greatest interest in living." Unquote. Apparently, there was no great slaughter of people, although I'm sure many did die, and most of the buildings did survive intact, but the city was stripped bare, and the people were terrified. Regarding the aftermath, another writer wrote the following, apparently with regard to refugees from Rome, who were seeking refuge in Bethlehem. This is what he wrote. Who would believe that Rome, built up by the conquest of the whole world, had collapsed, that the mother of nations had become also their tomb, that the shores of the whole east of Egypt, of Africa, which once belonged to the imperial city, were filled with the hosts of her men-servants and maid-servants, that we should every day be receiving in this holy Bethlehem men and women who once were noble and abounding in every kind of wealth, but are now reduced to poverty. We cannot relieve these sufferers, all we can do is sympathize with them and unite our tears with theirs. Who would have believed that mighty Rome, with its careless security of wealth, would be reduced to such extremities as to need shelter, food, and clothing? And yet, some are so hard-hearted and cruel that, instead of showing compassion, they break up the rags and bundles of the captives and expect to find gold about those who are nothing but prisoners. So it's a grim look back at something like this that happened long ago, but didn't we see a glimmer of this same kind of thing on January 6th in Washington, D.C.? 
Didn't we see something just as unfathomable and terrifying, albeit on a much smaller scale? And now, with the return of these same energies, we find the Select Committee to Investigate the January 6th Attack on the U.S. Capitol holding hearings to investigate what happened on that day and how it came to be. So the timing is interesting, particularly since the first three days of this Tresina are the same, the same energies that were in place when Rome was sacked some 31 calendar rounds ago. So let's look at that a little more closely, since that is one of the things that the obsidian butterfly compels us to do. Look closely to really see what's going on. This is where the what goes around comes around becomes quite striking. In the classical Maya timekeeping system, calendar rounds represent the intersection of the 260-day Zulkan cycle with the 365-day Hob cycle. There are 52 Hob years in a calendar round cycle. And when those energies return, it is often referred to as a new fire energy return. I focus primarily on the 260-day Zulkan cycle for my blog and podcast, but sometimes it's important to look at the calendar round as it is right now. When this Trisina came into place on Friday, July 30th, the calendar round date was 1 Akbal, 1 Yashkin in the year 10 Ik. Precisely the same energy all across the board as was in place on that fateful day in Rome in 410. 31 calendar rounds ago. And where we are right now is a new fire anniversary of that energy. And there they are now in Washington, in the seat of government, in what had been seen at one time as one of the greatest modern powers on earth, trying to figure out how and why they were attacked, including from within. Is this not a striking parallel, far beyond coincidence? And if we want to extend the parallel, we can also see that even further back, when the Roman dictator Julius Caesar was assassinated on the Ides of March in 44 BC, that was also a one Akbal day, and several senators were involved in that dreadful event that took place in the Senate itself. That was not the same calendar round date, but the same one Akbal Zulkan energy was in place, and the aftermath played out in this same Akbal Trisina. 
also of note at this time is the fact that all of the numerical energies associated with the hob or month at this time are identical to the Zulkan's numerical powers. So the first day was one Akbal, one Yashkin. The second day, two Khan, two Yashkin. The third day, three Chikchan, three Yashkin, and so on. So as we go through this period, those numerical forces are not only intensifying as they normally do, but they are doubling because they are being repeated in the rest of the calendar round date. Something to watch for as it suggests that things could get quite intense as the numbers increase as we go through this period. In addition to that, we have a new burner sequence starting today, as it happened today, which is Sunday, August the 1st, being three Chikchen. This represents the activation of life force, which is an important burner day oriented around the idea of announcing the fire at the start of a new burner sequence, this burner sequence being life force oriented. This is the type of energy that can charge people to take action, particularly if pressing issues suggest the need for consciousness raising. The last time this Justina was in place, federal courts were busy throwing out the flimsy lawsuits that the dumpster was submitting as he frantically tried to hold on to power after the election. And while this was going on, more and more states were submitting the results of the election to confirm Joe Biden's win, so that by the end of the Tresina, the official go-ahead was given for the transition of power to get underway. And while that was going on, the nefarious force still in the White House was doing everything he could think of to conjure up a different notion, or dream up maybe, a different notion of reality. And then, right on schedule, just two days ago, as this Tresina opened on one Akbal, out came the story and the documentation of how the dumpster had attempted to pressure the Department of Justice into declaring the election corrupt. Even though he was told over and over again that evidence did not support his claims, he kept insisting that they take steps to overturn a free and fair election. And then came all the machinations over the following few weeks that led to January 6th. So again, we now have the return of the energies that were in place when all that searching for ways to overturn the election began. And as the big lie continued, over the last full cycle of 260 days, the mess that he fomented at the time has turned into a monstrous storm, much of which is swirling around the fact that the dumpster had a number of accomplices in Congress, many of whom are now 
squirming as evidence of their input in that regard piles up. One political commentator the other day suggested that there will be a very large harvest of conspirators when all this comes out in the wash, particularly since the current Department of Justice is now actually adhering to the law. And in that regard, has just authorized again on Wanak Ball that Internal Revenue Service finally hand over six years' worth of the dumpster's tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee, something they requested 849 days earlier. During the last Tresina, it became more evident than ever that the issue of voting rights is right at the top of the agenda for millions of people. So we are sure to see a great deal of action around that issue during this period. Yesterday, we saw a huge rally in Austin, Texas, after the completion of a four-day, 27-mile Georgetown to Austin March for Democracy, coordinated by the Poor People's Campaign, which is basically a national call for moral revival. Beto O'Rourke and his Powered by People voter outreach organization was also part of this, which was also in support of the Democratic state legislators who abruptly left Texas and went to Washington a couple of weeks ago to block a Republican voting restrictions bill from going ahead and to plead for federal passage of legislation to boost or safeguard access to voting. Even Willie Nelson was at the rally, leading more than a thousand spectators in singing, vote them out from the steps of the Texas Capitol. As it happened, although I doubt very much that anyone would have been aware of it, that rally on Saturday took place on the Maya birth energy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who put forth passionate calls for freedom, justice, and equality during the 1960s. At the same time as this was taking place, more than 500 people took part in a March for Truth and Justice in Canada, on Parliament Hill and in downtown Ottawa, calling for the appointment of a special prosecutor to initiate criminal investigations into what went on in Canada's residential schools and calling for related church documents. And then there is the pandemic, which really started to take root. You guessed it, during this Tresina, precisely two cycles ago. When this Tresina opened in late February last year, 60 cases of coronavirus were reported in the U.S., and Brazil had one confirmed case on the last day of Carnival. That was the day when it was announced that Mike Pence would head the coronavirus response in the U.S. 
at which time an epidemiologist who had had some personal knowledge of Pence's abilities, or not, pointed out that Pence had totally botched the response to an HIV outbreak in his own state. So appointing him to head the coronavirus response in the U.S., spoke to complete lack of seriousness at the White House, as he put it, which at that time was busy trying to blame Democrats for the outbreak. A couple of days later, laboratories and hospitals were finally allowed to conduct their own COVID-19 tests. But the word basically was that a lot of time, a lot of time, had been wasted due to all the stalling and that, as one article put it a couple of weeks later, in the context of all of this, the dumpster had failed the biggest test of his life. It was noted that all this was likely to go down in history as a cautionary tale of the potentially devastating consequences of failed political leadership. In the meantime, several states took it upon themselves to declare states of emergency and other countries were beginning to shut things down, restricting the size of events, closing museums and such. And by the 10th day of the Tresina, when the $8.3 billion coronavirus bill was signed, the U.S. had more than 200 confirmed cases of COVID-19, and the worldwide number was over 100,000 cases. A survey of U.S. healthcare workers on the front lines revealed at that time how wildly unprepared the U.S. was for dealing with the outbreak as the case numbers were rising by the hundreds on a daily basis by then. And by then, there were cases in more than 90 countries. By the end of this Tresina, in early March, Italy had extended their lockdown measures nationwide as people were dying by the hundreds by that time. We could all see, we could all see, how quickly things were changing and evolving. So that was two cycles ago. Fast forward one cycle to November of last year. When this Tresina opened at that time, there were over 53 million cases worldwide and well over 10 million cases in the U.S. and still no vaccines. By the second day of the Tresina, the U.S. set a new record with 184,000 new cases on a single day, climbing to over 200,000 cases on a single day by the ninth day. Within the span of the Ogbal Tresina at that time, the global number of cases had reached over 60 million. But a glimmer of hope 
was dawning, as the drug company Moderna said it had a coronavirus vaccine that is 94.5% effective. That was when we learned that Dolly Parton had donated $1 million towards this effort. Thank you, Dolly. And here we are now, one full 260-day cycle after that. The battle still rages, but as we all know, vaccine programs have been available in many places for several months. In Canada, over 80% of the population aged 12 and older has received one dose and close to 64% is now fully vaccinated. In the U.S., just over 50% of the population is fully vaccinated, but worldwide that percentage is still only at just over 14%. So there's still a long way to go. And unfortunately, too much resistance, which it seems is leading to a fourth wave in many areas. On the first day of this current time frame, the U.S. reported over 100,000 new cases. And the recommendations are that they mask up again whenever they're in certain key areas where the density is high. With the global number of cases at nearly 200 million and new hotspots breaking out in a number of regions such as Indonesia, Iran and Bangladesh were far from being out of the woods yet. The U.S. is still out-distancing the rest of the world by far and is on track to reach over 36 million cases before this Tristina concludes at this time. And then there are the wildfires in B.C., in the U.S., in Europe, and the devastating floods that have been happening recently in many areas, but I won't get into all that at the moment. Suffice to say, with all that that's going on, the needs are enormous on so many levels. So I think we can expect a great deal of action over the next few days. But I do want to direct your attention to the 11th day of this time frame, which is Maya Day 11 Ben, representing inspirational personal authority. That will be 11 Ben, 11 Yashkin in the calendar round. So we will have a doubling of that inspirational energy associated with the number 11. That will be the UN's International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples with this year's theme being Leaving No One Behind, Indigenous Peoples and the Call for a New Social Contract. Amen to that, badly needed. 
This would be a good day to give particular attention to the reconciliation efforts being called for with regard to the abuses that have been heaped upon Indigenous peoples worldwide for centuries, such as those pertaining to the horrors of residential schools in Canada that took the lives of so many, many children over many, many decades. Now, if you are ever thinking, well, what can one person do in the midst of so much trauma? Let me tell you a little story about something that happened one calendar round ago as of this day. In a small Haida village called Masset, in the northern part of Haida Gwaii, way up in the archipelago of islands off the northern coast of BC. On that 11 Ben day in 1969, a budding 22-year-old artist did something amazing. To set the scene, I should point out that this young man's ancestors had suffered through the devastating smallpox plague of the 1860s, as well as through the decimation of their culture by federal policies that were intent on outlawing Indigenous customs, policies and laws that required that totem poles and large quantities of cultural goods be burned or removed. Many are now in museums and private collections. Uh Many from his village of Masset had suffered through the residential school era where children were required by law to leave their homes and go to residential schools so that they could be purged of their primitive ways, or so the law went. That young man had a dream, a dream that he had been working on for a while. And on that 11 Ben, 11 Yashkin day in 1969, he saw that dream come true. As the entire village came out, to raise a totem pole that he and his brother carved. It was the first time in living history that such a pole had been raised in that village, and it was a joyous occasion. More than a thousand people showed up to help raise this pole, coming not only from Masset, but from the more southerly village of Skidigat and elsewhere in that area, even from Alaska. Since there were no ceremonial masks and few artifacts from the old era left in the village at that time, this young man's grandmother and several other elders in the village made headpieces out of paper bags to take part in the pole-raising ceremony. 
That young man was Robert Davidson, who went on to become one of Canada's most highly acclaimed, most highly respected artists. I have included links in the blog and podcast that relate to this story and to Robert, whom I am blessed to call a very dear friend. As I have watched his development over many decades, I have always marveled at his extraordinary skill, his devotion to learning the Haida language, and the songs and stories and dances that were absolutely on the brink of being lost forever. I've had the honor of attending potlatches that he has given and witnessing the revitalization of the arts that have taken place since that astonishing event in 1969. Today, the arts and culture in that region are on an upswing. It has been called a renaissance as there are now so many amazing artists in that region working hard to bring back their culture and traditions. So that is what I mean by that spark of light that can be found within the darkness. Sometimes it just needs to be found and recognized and fanned a little to begin to grow and to spread its brilliance out into the world. How many children hold that kind of potential? How many were lost when darkness was imposed upon them? How much beauty and light was lost to the world when the lives of so many Indigenous children were snuffed out by the darkness of the colonial era. As we go through these 13 days, this Dracina can provide a good opportunity to reflect on these kinds of things, to question the injustices that have happened in the past and that still go on in various forms. Many will be taking direct action, such as those involved in the voting rights fight, and many will be dreaming. Let's make the best of this time frame as we continue our journey through it. Yes, there will be darkness, and many may have to face some significant challenges. But this time we're also beginning a new Maya month in conjunction with this Tresina, Maya month known as Yashkin, which actually translates as New Day, as was in place at the time of that event in Masset. So we will have that New Day energy going along with all 13 days of this night-related time frame. It should make for some interesting conjuring and perhaps the discovery of breakthrough openings that we may not have been able to see or imagine in the past. 
Feel free, if you wish, to contact me if you have any questions. It's always fun to explore this in the context of other people's lives as well. And if that's you, just give me a call. Contact information is in the websites as well as information on subscribing to the Horoscope blog. I want to close with a quote from Dr. Jonas Salk, the American virologist and medical researcher who was born during this energy period in 1914, who went on to develop one of the first successful polio vaccines. He once said, There is hope in dreams, imagination, and in the courage of those who wish to make those dreams a reality. Jonas Salk had that courage, and so does Robert Davidson. Hopefully, enough people will be able to muster the same kind of courage to help us get through this dark period and into the light. Journey well through this, and happy dreaming. Love to all.